If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd encourage you to take them out and turn with me to the book of Song of Solomon. If you don't know where that is, it's Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. It's the last book in the wisdom literature. As a church, this year we have gone through, at the beginning of the year, we went through the Gospel of Mark. We followed it up with a series of messages from the book of Jude, and then this summer we have spent the summer uh, studying through the book of Job. And uh, now we've got a short sermon series through the Song of Solomon, and uh, where we're going before the end of the year is we'll pick up a series that will kick off in 2 Corinthians. Uh, I, I mentioned this morning uh, where we're going because we've already purchased the journaling Bibles for 2 Corinthians, but I did not purchase journaling Bibles for the Song of Solomon. And uh, which, I, you know, as we were planning it out, we're like, hey, it's a short series. We're not going to be very long. It's a short book. And so we didn't purchase the journaling Bibles for you, which I apologize because my journaling Bible is filled with notes and uh, probably will be more filled with notes even as we go through the series. If you want to pick up a journaling Bible, you're going to have to do that on your own. We do have the Second Corinthians ones already ordered and they're coming in. So that'll be for the next, next series. Well, let me have a, a quick word of prayer and then we'll get into our message uh, this morning. Well, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we pray that you would speak and that you would take your word, which is powerful and effective and living and active, take your word and uh, penetrate our minds and our lives with, uh, with your word. And so I ask for that kind of help and strength this morning for clarity and conviction and ability to speak and for all of us to have ears to hear. And so we ask you for that kind of, that kind of grace to us and kindness to us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you were to take out your smartphone or your tablet or your iPad or go to your computer and go to the search engine of Google and then type the question into Google, this question, what is the common theme of pop music? I wonder what answer you would expect would be the answer that Google would give. What is the common theme of pop music? Um, when I Googled that question, there was more than 47 million hits in less than a second. Less than a half a second. I got 47 million hits on that question. Uh, the top result, the answer was this. The lyrics of modern pop songs typically focus on simple themes, often love and romantic relationships, although there are notable exceptions. Now, that was the, uh, that was the top answer, and uh, there were uh, many other answers. I didn't explore all 47 million of those. But I, I did look at some of the top answers that were given, and... Um, Love and romance were often on the top of the list. There were some other notable exceptions, which include breaking up and empowerment and partying and coming of age or growing up. Well, that, that question and that response prompted me to do another Google search, and I typed in the question, what is the theme of not pop music, but what is the theme of popular movies? Music and movies are powerful forces in cultural communication and cultural formation. So I follow up the music question with the movie question. And what do you think is the top answer for what is the common theme of popular movies? Love and romance is the same thing. And here is the top answer. The love story is one of the most popular themes in movies. This is because love is the most universal emotion and love, can, love stories can touch people from all walks of life. Interestingly, as you think about it, even movies that are not about love, even movies that are not a love story, uh, they might be historical in nature, they might be epic dramas, they might be comedy, they could even be horror, whatever the movie is, even movies that are not a love story often have a love interest written into the movie, right? Right? None of you are movie watchers, I get it. But it's true, popular movies have as a common theme love and romance, and even the movies that aren't about love and romance have love and romance written into it. 
Well, out of the 66 books of the Bible, where God has chosen to reveal himself in words written down, out of the 66 books of the Bible, there is an entire book given over to the theme of love and romance between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife, and it is arguably the most overlooked and underpreached book of the Bible. And I say that because I, I grew up in a home where my parents were Christians, and I, I attended church for nine months before I was even born. And then I went to church my whole growing up years. Uh, I, I'm an Awana graduate. I met my wife at church. I, I went to a Christian college, a Christian university where I graduated. I uh, eventually attended and graduated from a, a theological seminary where uh, I was trained for ministry. I've been involved in compensated pastoral ministry for over 30 years, and I cannot recall ever hearing a single message from the Song of Solomon. I'm 55 years old. I don't remember ever hearing a single message from the Song of Solomon. Nor have I ever delivered a message from the Song of Solomon, making me a part of what I now criticize. I'm guilty of what I condemn. We often say, uh, particularly here at Emmanuel, we often say we preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. Well, we apparently preach from every book, but not that book. It's like we don't know what to do with a book on love and romance within the Christian community. And that's a real bummer. Uh, one commentator, uh, as he opened his commentary on the Song of Solomon, he begins by saying, the Song of Solomon is a song. It's meant to be sung. It's a song about love and romance. It's a song about sex. And it's in the Bible. It's a song about sex in the Bible, and it's intended to give us wisdom. Another commentator said this, the Song of Solomon is a celebration of the nature of humanity, males and females created in God's image for mutual pleasure and support. The couple in the song are one in their desires for one another because their desires are God-given, as are the consummation of those desires. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are instructed clearly from the Scripture to glorify God with our bodies. And romance and physical intimacy is something that we do with our bodies, and we glorify God and experience our greatest pleasures, security, and shalom when we play according to God's design. God has a design, and it's good. Matter of fact, it's very good. In the Song of Solomon, we have an entire book on love and romance, and I would argue that we have ignored the book to our own detriment. Think about it. In music... And in movies, and in break room conversations, and in locker room conversations, and in teenage girl sleepovers, people all around us are continually singing about, talking about, and portraying love and romance from its own perspective, which is often grossly distorted by the fall. And the redeemed church that has revelation has been silent on the book that has been written to give us wisdom on this topic of love and romance. That means what we and our children know about love and romance, we've learned from the secular culture. And if you don't believe that, just ask yourself and ask your kids, what have you learned about love and romance from the church? In our present time and in our current cultural moment, our society has gone off the rails as it relates to love and romance and particularly gender and sexuality, uh, it's gone off the rails because it's not found fulfillment 
in the past expressions of love and romance, and that's what they're looking for. They're looking for fulfillment, permanent fulfillment, and even transcendent experiences. And the church, which has been silent on this topic and has not provided a glorious vision in the lane of love and romance, the church which has been silent now wants to speak into this lane and provide corrections. And the surrounding culture has zero interest in what the church has to say. For generations, for decades, you have been silent on males and females and love and romance, and we, we, you've been silent in this lane, and now you want to speak into this lane. Why don't you just go over in the corner and suck your thumb and be quiet? Because we have zero interest in what you have to say here. Today, while we as a church may not be able to impact the culture, impact it and turn the culture toward what is beautiful and beneficial to humanity and to its flourishing by following God's good design, while we may not be able to impact the culture, we certainly ought to be able to influence the culture by providing a glorious vision for love and romance as we conduct ourselves within the lane that God has laid down for us, which is superiorly good for his glory, and for our happiness. Now, I want to be a little bit careful here as I begin. I don't want the singles in this congregation to check out of this series. I don't want those who are single or maybe those who are divorced or widowed or widowers to be like, oh, this is not for me. This is all about love and romance and uh, between a a committed husband and wife, and and this, this isn't for me. You don't do that when you watch a movie or listen to music on the same theme. I don't want you to check out because this love and romance message found in the Song of Solomon applies to every Christian person, whether married or single. And according to the New Testament, the love and romance that is experienced in marriage between a man and a woman in a covenant relationship is a pointer to the relationship that exists between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. And you don't have to allegorize the Song of Solomon to draw that line. The Scripture does that for us, plainly, in the New Testament. So the beauty of love and romance and marriage, which is real and good and glorious and mysterious, it is a pointer towards something that is even more real and glorious and good. And if we fail to understand the beauty and glory of love and romance and even physical intimacy between a husband and a wife, what understanding will we have of the greater relationship that we have with Jesus today and the relationship we will have with Jesus when he comes at the end of the age and we celebrate with him in the marriage supper of the Lamb? That's where history is headed. It's heading toward a wedding day and it's heading toward a marriage. And that future event of Jesus' return and the marriage supper of the Lamb, it is so glorious that it renders sex obsolete. And we can't begin to fathom that. What the world continually sings about and portrays constantly because it can't think of anything more glorious to sing about and write about is a broken picture of what is going to be wonderfully experienced between Jesus and his redeemed people on a new heaven and a new earth. And that's amazing. So, if you live a life of singleness, like Jesus did, and he wasn't unfulfilled. If you live a life of singleness, like Jesus, like the Apostle Paul, you're not going to miss out on love and romance and marital intimacy, or you're going to miss out on love and romance and marital intimacy in following Jesus. You're not going to miss out on the superior human experience of even greater intimacy and greater glory than marital love, that marital love and romance points to. Love and romance, which is great 
and glorious and wonderful and celebrated, celebrated in this book, finds its greater fulfillment in the relationship that exists between Jesus and his bride. And some of you hearing that might be like, man, that takes a lot of faith. That takes faith to believe that. You can live a single life and be completely fulfilled, not miss out on anything. That takes faith. Yeah, it takes faith. Faith saves us. Faith in Jesus Christ. One of the most repeated expressions in the Song of Solomon as we read it together, it comes from the bride who is enjoying the pleasures of physical intimacy in the context of marriage. And the bride repeatedly sings to her virgin friends, wait for this. Wait for this. What I'm experiencing, what I'm enjoying, what I'm singing about, wait for it, for it's worth the wait. For those who wait for the right person in the right place in the right time, experience pleasure and wholeness and shalom that is worth waiting for. So don't stir up an awakened love before it's time. And that applies now in our human relationships, and certainly that applies to all of us ultimately as we await the consummation of our salvation and the return of Jesus Christ and the glory and the intimacy that we will have with him that will stretch out for all eternity. The Song of Solomon is a book written about human love and romance, and we have much to learn from it. We have much to learn, and it's, it's profitable for our present experience as husbands and wives, as people uh, together on this planet, also for our relationship with Jesus and with his people. All right, that's enough introduction. I've had you turn to the Song of Solomon. Let's begin, and I'm going to read just the introduction, and then we're going to uh, open the opening verses of this song. But it begins by saying, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. I'm going to pause there for just a moment. If you've read through your Bible and you read to 1 Kings chapter 4, you would come to understand that Solomon, he wrote 3,000 proverbs and over 1,000 songs, which means he's a prolific producer. His publisher loved him. <laughs> 3,000 proverbs, over 1,000 songs. This song is his platinum hit. This one went to the top of the charts. This is a song of songs. It is a song about love and romance. As we read this song, we're going to discover that Solomon is written into it, but he is always spoken of in the third person, and he never speaks. While Solomon is written into the song, the song is not about him. The song is about a common couple who are deeply in love with one another and who are free to express and enjoy that love in the context of their covenant commitment to one another. They belong to one another and to no one else. They repeat that continually. Solomon is a contrast or a contradiction to what the song is about. He's a foil. Uh, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which was directly disobedient to the law of God, Deuteronomy chapter 17, and it's contrary to God's design for human flourishing. The couple that this song is about, the couple that repeatedly sing to one another in this song, they express the blessedness of their singular passion found in their faithfully belonging to one another and the enjoyment of that relationship. Solomon is a contrast to that goodness. Matter of fact, you get to the last page of, the, of this book and the last paragraphs of it, and, and again, we hear the bride singing, and she's saying, hey, Solomon can keep his oversized vineyard that he can't even care for, referring to his large harem. Solomon can keep his oversized vineyard. My vineyard is my very own, and it's right in front of me. So Solomon, you can have your thousands. I'll have my one. And that's where the song ends. I'll have my king. I'll have my man. Well, let's continue reading the song. The song is introduced, the song of songs, which is Solomon's. It's not about Solomon. It's about this couple. Here the song begins. Let him kiss me 
with the kisses of his mouth. Boom, there's a love song for you. That's a way to begin. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. And not to play Yahtzee. We know what's happening there. We will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Now let's stop there for just a moment. In these opening four verses, I find five themes that I'm going to develop over the course of this series. And here are the five themes that I'm going to develop. Chemistry, character, commitment, consummation, and celebration. How's that for all C's for you? You can write them down, and that's, that's, that's where we're going. And, and I see them right in this psalm, or this song that we just began to read. Uh, chemistry, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Your love is better than wine. There's desire there. There's passion there. Character, your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins highly esteem you. You are highly esteemed. Commitment, draw me after you. Let us run. Let us run together. Uh, the bride is hitching her wagon to her man, and they're committed to one another. Consummation, the king has brought me into his chambers. Again, we can imagine what's happening there. If we can't imagine, the song is going to make it abundantly clear to us what is happening there. Celebration, we will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. The beauty of love and romance between the right couple in the right place in the right time is celebrated by more than just the couple who are in love. Multitudes of people are blessed by it. And so the, the love that I have for my wife is not just enjoyed and celebrated by my wife and I, it impacts multiple, multiple, our, our family, this church. Uh, today is the, uh, the um, anniversary for the Newberries. And their, their love and relationship is enjoyed by one another, but it is a blessing to all people. It's celebrated by more than just them. So there's where our series is going. This is where our series is going. Chemistry, character, commitment, consummation, celebration. Now, before I jump into that top theme of chemistry where we're going this morning, I want to take just a moment and read the opening, what's left, of chapter 1 and chapter 2. There's only eight chapters of this book, and uh, we've got four weeks here, so I want to read two chapters a week, and, uh, and that way we'll read this entire song together. So follow along. Let's read the balance of chapter 1 and chapter 2 and hear this song that's being sung. She begins, I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's son were angry with me, and they made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. In other words, there's a little bit of a Cinderella story going on here. My brothers were mean to me. They made me keep the vineyards. I've not kept care of myself. Don't look at me. I'm dark. Tell me, you who my soul loves, where you pasture your flock where you make it lie down at noon. For why would I be like one who veils herself besides the flock of your companions? In other words, I want to be where you are. And don't make me dress like a prostitute and come finding you. No, don't make me do that. I want to be where you are. He says, if you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots, a standout distraction. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make ornaments of gold studded with silver. In other words, your natural beauty we will enhance with jewelry, external jewelry. While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sacket of myrrh that lies between my breasts. 
My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engadai. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. The roof is not coming down in this relationship. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. I'm just a common flower. As a lily, valley, uh, as a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows. Looking through the lattice, my beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away, for behold, the winter is past, the rain is gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land, the fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Apparently, we should have done this as a spring series, not a fall series. O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, that spoil love, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. He's gone from gazing among the lilies to grazing among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. Oh, God bless the reading of his word this morning. As we read through this glorious song, the, the, the chemistry, the attraction that this couple has for one another is without question, and it continues throughout the rest of the song. They clearly find one another attractive, and they are free in expressing that attraction to one another. Uh, she says, don't look at me. I'm lovely, but I'm not that attractive. I, I'm dark. He says, you're a total knockout. You're the most beautiful woman I've ever laid eyes on. Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. And love makes one blind to imperfections. He sees no flaws in her, and he's going to repeat that. She says, I'm just a common wildflower. You look out into the valleys, and there's, just, there's, there's common lilies everywhere. I'm just, a, I'm just a common flower, a lily of the valleys. He says, no, you are a beautiful flower. You stand out from everyone else. You're like a flower among brambles. She calls him an apple tree in the forest of non-productive trees. Walking through the forest, here's an apple tree. It's a real treasure. It's a real fine, fruitful and delightful and refreshing, altogether lovely. So we read this song, and we're just reading the beginning, and, and, and we notice that he desires her and she desires him. There's chemistry. There's attraction. There's passion. And then the compliments just flow back and forth. And as I'm reading this, I'm reminded that desire is a good thing. And the expression of those desires are a good thing. The expression of those desires to one who receives and respects and reciprocates those desires. Uh, we read here, the song begins with the girl singing, I want this guy to kiss me. And as the song progresses, she gets more than she asked for. She gets compliments on her beauty, an invitation to come away, and a physical intimacy that she says is worth waiting for. So we read the song. He sees her. She sees him. And there's a passion that comes between them that is worked out in a deeper relationship where they long to be one another 
Eventually that works out in permanency and in marital pleasures. The couple in the song are clearly drawn to one another. And their desires for one another drives them toward one another into a deepening relationship, into a deepening commitment, culminating in romance and love. So I begin by saying physical attraction, what we call chemistry, is a good thing. It's God-given. It's invigorating. It's powerful. It's intentional. It provides initial relational energy. Without it, the relationship doesn't go anywhere. As the Apostle Paul said, this attraction, this must, this passion, it must be if the couple are to progress toward a deepening relationship and ultimately toward a committed covenantal relationship of marriage. If there's no chemistry, there's no continuation. Attraction gets things started. And the attraction must be mutual. It must be shared. And then the attraction, it must be expressed, verbalized, communicated. So for those of us who are married here this morning, and that's a good number of us, the question could be asked of us, what attracted you to your spouse in the first place? What was the initial attraction? What chemistry was there? And it's most likely physical attraction, physical appearance. And we read through the song, and we discover that to be true about the couple in the song. They're attracted to one another. They're attracted to one another's appearance. They, they find one another to be beautiful and attractive. Matter of fact, as we read through the songs, the various body parts really begin to come out in the song. There's 22 body parts mentioned in the song. And then the ones that don't get mentioned have some pretty interesting metaphors. When the guy starts talking about climbing palm trees and harvesting fruit, he's not talking about going to the beach and picking pineapples. So for those of us who are married, what was the initial attraction? What was the chemistry? When's the last time you remembered it? And when's the last time you communicated it? You see us oldie-weds, my wife and I just passed our 35th wedding anniversary. We, we might learn a thing or two from examining this young couple's love life. They're all over one another with the compliments. They just continually roll off their lips back and forth. The reciprocal compliments are just staggering. They're all over one another with the compliments before they're all over one another in the king's chambers or in the mother's room or out in the park and everywhere they go. Compliments are free and they're powerful. I don't know why we don't give more of them. You know, some of us are not words of affirmation people, right? But man, I, I read this and I'm like, these two clearly are attracted to one another. They're clearly drawn to one another. They clearly have chemistry and they're not hesitant to share it. And the compliments just continually roll. So remembering the attraction and celebrating it is a good thing. Physical attraction, chemistry is a God thing. At the same time, I want to say that physical attraction needs to be guarded and guided and kept in its proper lane. Attraction and desire is to be fully enjoyed within God-established boundaries, but it must not be misplaced or misused or selfishly abused. Like all of God's good gifts, attraction and desire can be enjoyed and celebrated in its proper lane and it brings beauty and life, or it sadly can be misdirected toward great harm to self and others. You know, as God's people, those of us who have been joined to God by grace through faith, we have, we have revelation, we have the scripture, 
And we have the responsibility to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus because sometimes we're attracted to and desire things that don't belong to us. With the help of God's Spirit, we are to rule our spirits and bring our desires within God's good and glorious design and then fully enjoy those desires within that proper lane. Desire is a good thing. Chemistry is a good thing. But when I begin to desire the wrong things, I have the responsibility to direct my desires toward what is pure and lovely and of good report. Uh, let me give you an example outside the, the lane of love and romance. I often work from home in the morning. I have an office there, so I'll work there till noon. I'm an early riser. I can get up and I can work till noon there. And then I come in here for the afternoon. When I come in here for the afternoon, I often take my wallet and my keys, which are in my front pockets, and I throw them on the desk because I don't care to have them in my front pocket while I'm working at my desk. Could you imagine one of the pastoral staff coming into my office and saying, hey, you, you need to put that wallet away because I'm tempted to steal it. Could you imagine one of the pastoral staff saying that? I wouldn't accommodate that request. I'd be like, you need to put that desire to death. You, you need not to act on that. And you ought to respect other people's property. I'm not going to accommodate the request. My wallet can stay right there. You need to change your attitude, your mind, your thinking, and your behavior. Right? We would do that, right? You guys are such a quiet audience this morning. You need to re-educate your thoughts regarding my wallet. You don't need to steal it or be tempted to steal it. Put that thing to death. Begin to live in a new life, in a new way, in a new lane. That same lesson applies to attraction and desire in the lane of love and romance. To acknowledge the attractiveness and the beauty of another person or another person's spouse is fine. We understand that God has made people beautiful. And even as you read through the scripture, there are people who are referenced specifically as being beautiful. Sarah was a beautiful woman. Rachel was a beautiful woman. Rebecca was a beautiful woman. Samson's wife, Delilah, was a Naka. We, we recognize that God has made people beautiful, and we don't need to veil our eyes. We don't need to hamper that or, or, or bring that down. But to acknowledge the beauty and the attractiveness of someone else is one thing, but to desire to possess it or have power over it or to fantasize that in lanes that are inappropriate, that, that's inappropriate. You don't do that. In our current culture, in our current situation, the attraction towards someone of the same sex, we would clearly argue from the Scriptures, is a misguided desire. It's an inordinate affection. God has made us males and females in His image. And to desire someone of the same sex is a misguided attraction. I don't deny the attraction. I don't deny the desire. We all have all sorts of broken passions and desires. We get that. And we understand what it is to take passions captive and make them obedient to Jesus Christ. And this is just one of those things. To, we don't deny the, the reality of the desire. We would just say, hey, you, you need to take thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus Christ. If you want to experience God's goodness and glory and grace and fullness, that's the way you got to go. So I, I don't share that from any other, that correction from any other place than a, a genuine love for someone who has those desires and to say, hey man, God has got a much wonderful thing in, in store for you and in mind for you. And believing him and following him is where you're going to experience your greatest fulfillment and your greatest pleasures and your greatest flourishing. So anyways, I'm, I'm reading the psalm. I don't want to spend a lot of time there because the song isn't about that. Well, I'm reading this song, and I'm reading about this young couple. 
And clearly, they're attracted to one another, and there's chemistry there. And, and I would say physical attraction and chemistry and desire is a good thing. But like all good things, it needs to be guarded and guided and directed and then fully and freely enjoyed in its proper place like the couple in the song. So just a couple of closing comments by words of affirmation, uh, application before we go. For those of us who are married, we ought to reconsider what it was that initially attracted us to our spouse and celebrate it and communicate it. We ought to do that. Those of us who are married and those who are not married ought to recognize and acknowledge that what we find to be attractive and worship God who makes people beautiful. Physical beauty can be celebrated and enjoyed without being worshiped and possessed. Physical beauty can be a pointer to God, not a God in itself. Well, this morning, physical attraction, chemistry is powerful and it's good. It's God-given, but it's not an end. A relationship that's built purely on physical attraction and chemistry, it, it won't make it. Right? It's not going to get. It's not going to go. Where, or if it is, if it's built on that alone, that's that's going to be a, a colossal mistake. Uh, chemistry points to another foundation, and that foundation is character. And where there's chemistry and character, you have the real foundation for a God-honoring relationship. And character is where we go next. So I'm going to encourage you to read the Song of Solomon this next week. It's short. Read it every week. Read it as we go through this four-week series. And uh, but this next week, not only look, the, the chemistry is all over on every page. But look for the character that is found there between this couple who are drawn to one another, and uh, we'll build on that. Uh, after, the, after the first service, I was thinking again along the lines of our relationship with Jesus Christ. What initially attracted you to Jesus? You know, Isaiah says, you know, he wasn't of a physical appearance that made him attractive. Well, we've not physically seen Jesus anyways. We've not lived during that time when he was here. But what was it that attracted you to Jesus? And how long have you been in a relationship with him? And has your relationship gone beyond the physical, or beyond the, the initial attraction? I'm certain that it has. But what is it that attracted you to your spouse? What was it? It ought to be celebrated and communicated and enjoyed, but you've gone farther than that. If you've been together, you've gone farther than that. And uh, we're, we're going to head there next week. What's, the, what's, what's character? And so let's, let's close with that. And let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we go through this little book that we would benefit greatly from it, not only in our relationships with one another, but our faith in you. Father, I thank you for this book that is written to give us wisdom, to give us instruction. I pray that we might learn from it in very practical ways and that in all things we might be blessed as a result of it and that you might be glorified. Bless now our continuation this morning as we just close our service here, this formal part of our singing and our preaching. Pray that we would continue to enjoy you and enjoy one another. Bless and deepen our relationship with one another, I pray. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.